Hello everyone, welcome to Bunker Mania Wrestling. I am Jeremy Graves, flying solo on this edition of the podcast, but for a very good reason. Because if you're watching the video version of this, first of all, hi YouTube, how you doing? Uh, you will notice that I'm in a different location for once I'm not in the car studio with my good buddy Tom, or online in my regular studio, as it were, with Ian. No, I'm actually in a hotel room. And I'm currently sitting in Toronto, in Canada, because I have just flown in from Chicago, where I went to see AEW Dynamite live at the Wintrust Arena. Now, the first thing you might be asking is, didn't they run the United Center with Collision a few days before that? The answer is yes. Was I at that show? No, because they announced it after I booked this trip, and it was too much money to be able to make that work. So that's why that didn't happen. But what I wanted to do was do a sort of a little podcast. I say little, you you will know what the runtime is based on you looking at the actual video and or audio-only podcast version, so you will know how long this is going to be ultimately. But I just wanted to document some of my thoughts while they're still relatively fresh in my brain, because I've got a busy week ahead when it comes to going to AEW shows. I am going to Collision on Saturday night at the Scotiabank Arena. I'm also going to be going to Forbidden Door the pay-per-view as well, and I'm going to be planning to do some some kind of reviews or document some thoughts on those as well. I will also be going to Dynamite and Collision in Hamilton, Ontario over the coming week. So this particular podcast is going to be focusing on my experience at Dynamite at the Trust Arena. Might get a little bit long-winded, but the way I'm going to do this is try and split it into maybe three or four sections, as it were. Because by the time this comes out, I'm going to assume Rampage has probably already aired, so I can talk about stuff quite freely that's happened on that from a live crowd perspective. So, first of all, let's talk about what it was like being there and sort of getting inside. Wintrust Arena, in terms of a venue, was was very well run, quite frankly. I got there before doors opened. I was in there within about 10 minutes of doors opening, and the line was pretty big, to say the least. So that worked out really, really well. In terms of what it was like inside the venue, Wintrust Arena was really small, like deceptively small. I figured it was maybe, I don't know, in the region of like... Five to 6,000, kind of, you know, a decent-sized arena, maybe like a couple of tiers. It's a really intimate arena. There may have been three to 4,000 people there at, at most. There was kind of like a whole lower bowl, if you imagine that. And then there was, in addition to that, also... Uh, there's a plane flying ahead, in case you can hear that in the background. But it, there was also sort of like half of an upper tier, is probably the way I'll describe that. So quite an intimate setting, and it was the current Dynamite setup that you see, and my view was fantastic. I think I'm technically opposite the primary hard camera, as it were, and I've had a couple of people say that they think they saw me, so if you did, well well done, I guess. <laughs> so I think major, but it is what it is. Now, before anything else goes underway... I want to talk about the merch stand, because they have, like, a little merch stand there. The queue for this was mental. It was insane how big it was. But, again, credit to the staff there. I don't know if it was AEW staff or it was Wintrust Arena staff specifically. But they had their ducks in a row when it came to getting people through that queue really, really quickly. And making sure that... People got seen too quickly, got their purchases done, and quite frankly, they were just out of the way at that point. I think I picked up a t-shirt, which was kind of like a, I was there live at Dynamite t-shirt, just something as a little souvenir for it. 
And then in terms of the actual setup of the show, I was under the impression from sort of past... Well, put it like Tom's been to events before. He's talked about it on the podcast. So I was maybe imagining there would be a few maybe other dark matches or a few other things they might tape for Ring of Honor in advance of Dynamite. There was one match... And that's not the way I said that. That's not to imply it was a bad match. It was fun. It was Emi Sakura v Mesa versus Hikaru Shida in a three-way. It was actually very good fun for as long as it lasted. But that was it. And that was at about half six in the evening. And in Chicago, it's Central Standard Time. So I think Dynamite normally begins at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So it's 7 p.m. Excuse me. It's 7 p.m. in the Central Time Zone. So because of that it meant they just kind of started stuff going like half an hour before and that match maybe lasted 10-15 minutes then it was kind of like the final lull if you will before dynamite began proper but before that on the big screen of dynam uh, on the big screen on the staging of dynamite sorry if i sound like i'm a bit scattershot folks it's been a long couple of days and whatnot so i'm sort of again trying to get these thoughts out while they're very much fresh in my brain so please do bear with me on that but they were playing some promos on the screen. It was a mixture of activities that AEW do, such as AEW heels, celebrating pride, all really, really great stuff to see. One of the things that was really surprising that they were they they put across quite hard, in fairness, kind of in on two occasions. Once was before the show, in that they had a dedicated video package about all in London at Wembley. And it was a segment that was sort of hosted by Rene Paquette putting over the UK fans, how much of an atmosphere there's going to be, how big Wembley Stadium is. And then it kind of led into Soraya talking about how excited she is for it. And this was kind of very much designed to be her talking as a person about this, rather than like Soraya, the character that we currently see on TV, if you will. And it really put across the idea of trying to get people to fly over to Wembley Stadium almost actually actually really appreciate how big of a show this is going to be and you don't want to miss it. And if you can travel over, you're not going to want to miss it. And I was talking to a few other people around me because they obviously heard my accent at times and they were kind of asking a few questions and I explained to them how big Wembley Stadium is and I really don't think it sunk in on this side of the Atlantic, if you will, where I currently am just how big of a deal this is in the UK for UK wrestling fans and I'm not sure what else AEW can do to put that across especially because they've not said anything about possible US television airing which there more than likely will be we just don't know where it's going to be yet but it's very interesting how the perception of this show it really comes across to me that Perhaps this may just be a Chicago thing, I don't know, but the people I was speaking to, it really didn't sink in how big of a deal this show is, let alone was, is already going to be and such. So it'll be interesting to see what other sort of push for that they do on the North American side going forward. Another thing that happened later in the show was Tony Khan himself, I think this was in between... It was either in between Dynamite and Rampage, or between Rampage and the final bonus that we got for the night, where he mentioned All in London. He said, we've already sold over 65,000 tickets. If you can get over to London, you need to come along. And he himself was putting it across as well. So it really feels like that, not to say 
they they've perhaps hit as much of the market as they can in the UK because there's still loads of people who could potentially go to it. But I think there was definitely a feeling of we can reach further afield now. The show has done tremendous already. We can reach further afield and really try and hammer home to the American audience why they should be there. And that that's how it came across to me. So they're playing the promos and such, and we get the bonus match, and then Justin Roberts, in between all of this, is sort of doing his his thing. I don't want to say his shtick, because that's too harsh. But he came across really well. And what I really liked about what he was doing was, because AEW have run Chicago multiple times, heck, Tony Khan himself multiple times in the evening on the microphone said he grew up in Illinois, so this feels like coming home for him and whatnot, which is why there is let alone with the punk stuff, but there is just such a deeper connection to everything that goes on with AEW in Chicago. But Justin Roberts did a really great job of making you feel like not just that you're part of a show or that you're going to be watching a show, but that you are part of a family of the show, if that makes sense. He was he literally introduced everyone on the crew at ringside be it security, cameramen, people at timekeeper's table, referees that were coming by, just introduced everyone, just so everyone just kind of knew, even if you didn't remember their names, not to sound callous about it, there was just an element of, yeah, you know what? It's really nice to actually know those people's names, or just have them acknowledged, and you sort of get that family atmosphere, and you're kind of all in it together, so... In a, I hate to be devil's advocate, but hypothetically, if something went a bit AWOL, you're still kind of on the team, if you will, and you want to support people and make sure that that, that everyone's just on the same page, if that makes sense. So that was really, really nice to see. And I suppose in terms of pre-show, that's kind of everything that happened on that front. When it comes to Dynamite itself, as I just load up some notes... To, uh, to my vantage point here, so apologies if you can see me messing around in the background here. The show began with the Chris Jericho... It didn't, sorry, hang on. Got my notes mixed up. That's right, yes. It began with the guns against the Hardys. And the reaction that the Hardys got to this was something else. I... I mean, I've not seen Jeff Hardy wrestle. God, when was the last time he was even in the UK? It would have been when he... Forgive the phrasing. It wouldn't have been when he didn't have um, a felony issue, as it were, which has been a very long time, even back in the TNA days. I don't remember, but the reaction that he got here was something amazing. This was a wonderful match to start the show with. I haven't watched back the television version, so I don't know how it came across on TV, but in the building... The atmosphere was incredible, quite frankly. The Guns are a great team. Everyone hates them. The Arse Boy chance was starting pretty much instantly. This was a really, really fun match. And then when it ultimately ended up with the Hardys losing, getting beaten down, and then Bullet Club Gold came out and such, and then it led to more people coming out, including FTR, Ricky Starks, and then eventually Punk running out as well, Obviously, the place kind of came unglued, and it was quite a surreal moment to see Punk running out from my perspective, because obviously the Collision show happened, and it was a fantastic show. I know we haven't really published any thoughts on that show specifically, 
but obviously there was his promo and such, and there was him in the ring on the end of the show, sort of putting Collision to one side for a second. This kind of felt like the first regular TV show now, where it hasn't got like a special hype around it regarding Punk. It's just, he showed up. And he even kind of made a really random comment about, I'm a Collision guy. And he's not even meant to be there, which is weird, because I don't think we've ever had like a hard brand split type thing acknowledged in such a way. But it was just really, really good fun, this this match. And really set the tone for the evening that we're going to be getting some special stuff here. Now, the one thing that did became or did become apparent, excuse me, very early on, was that um, the sound inside this building was not great. I don't know if it was just where I was sitting, because part of the upper tier was kind of sort of going over the top of part of my section, as it were, so maybe some of the sound got dampened out. But all night long, I had issues hearing stuff that was being said on the mic, let alone entrance music. I I think that the few times I could hear people were when Punk said something on the mic, when Jericho was shouting into the mic at one point, and there were a couple other times where I literally couldn't hear what people were saying, which was a bit gutting. I was kind of trying to do lip reading on like the big screen above the ring and stuff at times, which is very difficult when there's kind of a slight audio delay between picture and audio, so that was a thing, but it is what it is. Next up on the show, there was the concession stand brawl. It was Mark Briscoe and Jeff Jarrett. This was actually very close to where I was sitting. I couldn't see the brawl. It was kind of one block over from me, but I could hear a lot of it. And I sort of was watching the big screen and hearing it behind me. So that was really good fun. But this was just good fun, kind of exactly what you expected. Ultimately ended up with a bunch of other people getting involved as well. This was just good fun. Nothing amazingly special, but for me it was just wonderful to see Mark Briscoe in the ring wrestling because I've not seen him wrestle live in a very long time. So for me... That was kind of special. And also just seeing Jeff Jarrett in this environment and everything else going on around it, it was just... This was just really good fun. But that's how I will sum that up in a nutshell. We then got this backstage promo with the Blackpool Combat Club, sort of challenging the elite to a five-on-five match. And this was one of those moments where I realised, okay, there may be an audio thing going on, because Danielson in particular spoke very softly... And you just really couldn't hear what he said. I haven't, again, haven't gone back and watched anything, so I don't know what was said. But this was kind of one of those moments when I realised I'm going to have to probably maybe like you know, cup my hand around my ear to try and amplify the sound a little bit. That's musical theatre training coming in play there, folks. Just to try and see if there was a way I could hear what was being said. But got the gist of it, and people were well up for this. And obviously, the elite is kind of... um not a taboo subject in Chicago at this point but yeah, anytime they're mentioned now or you see any of them in any capacity suffice to say in Chicago they're not exactly liked so you gotta, you gotta take that for what it is at this point then we got a, a trios match it was Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara and Minoru Suzuki so damn happy I got to see Suzuki live and shout his theme song music they took on Action Andretti, Darius Martin and AR Fox this was a, this was a fun match there was some, some good competitive action back and forth obviously the Suzuki stuff was great Jericho and Suzuki interacting like they're the, the tag team of Sammy and Jericho at points was really good fun really good back and forth moments between both teams 
Suzuki, not to say he was holding back, but obviously he was kind of part of the story when it came to Jericho and Sammy Guevara. So you could kind of tell that there was a little bit of dissension still between them. Sammy was getting booed, quite frankly. There wasn't really an opportunity to cheer him very much. So trying to turn him babyface while he is still aligned with Jericho, they're going to have fun. That's the way I'll sum that up. But fair, fair play to them. They really did try their best. Now, this is another example now where I couldn't hear what was being said because Rene Paquette, who I did actually see as well creeping over to ringside, which was quite funny from my vantage point, she got in the ring, she said something, I've got no idea what she said, and then Jericho took the microphone from her and started talking, and this led to Sting and Darby Allen coming out because we've got a match... We got a challenge for a match, the Le Suzuki Gods, as it were, which was a freaking great name. So Suzuki, Guevara, and Jericho, if memory serves, against Sting, Darby Allen, and an, and a special mystery partner who will be named on Collision. Darby Allen doing the big heel move because people were not happy when he said he'll reveal it on Collision. But I'm going to be there, so selfishly, I was keeping it to myself that, oh, I'm going to find out who it is in person. Awesome stuff. But yeah, this entire thing was really, really good fun. Also, talking about Darby Allen, another fun observation. In the sort of, in my row, if you will, but in like the next block over from me, there were a couple of kids and their dad, and the two kids, massive Darby Allen fans, dressed up like him, had the half face paint stuff, even had a sign just basically that said in bold letters, Darby Allen Fan Club. So I was really happy they got to see him, albeit for like 10 seconds. (laughs) But I was kind of gutted for them as well because you could tell they really wanted to see him. But I think they were happy they got to see him and Sting. So it was kind of like interesting how it played out. But they had a great time all night. So it was very interesting sort of watching their reactions as well at times. Then there was this segment backstage with Shivani and RJ City sort of drawing things for this blind eliminator tournament, which we still haven't got a bloody clue what this thing is, but I'm guessing it's like the old WCW Battle Bowl gimmick, like a mystery tag team thing, or the London Lethal Lottery, if you remember WCW Nitro circa November 2000 at the London Arena. I was there, that's why I can remember that so vividly. And then we get this elite promo backstage where Eddie Kingston comes in and such, and basically... Aside from the Eddie stuff, this promo was getting booed out the building, so I couldn't really hear a lot of what was being said, but suffice to say, Chicago don't like the elite. That's just the easy way to sum it up. Then we get this Adam Cole and MJF face-off. This was a really fun segment. Again, I couldn't hear everything, so I can't really tell you everything that occurred. Especially when Tony Schiavone actually stood up and started saying stuff, I couldn't hear a word Schiavone said. I figured out sort of what he said because I heard like the mention of like drawing for the tournament and then and then excuse me and then having seen the reaction of Cole and MJF I figured out they probably got drawn together as partners and then MJF basically saying something to the effect of you can't make me wrestle every week you pervert and then the crowd started chanting pervert which was really random but hey that's how wrestling crowds work sometimes I suppose then next up we got okay so this is <laughs> I, I love AEW I've documented this you've seen it and or heard it in past podcasts 
but they've really got to do a better job of promoting stuff ahead of time or at least emphasizing certain things. Later in the show, there was a really cool video package with Tony Storm and Willow Nightingale hyping the match they're going to have at Forbidden Door. It was really, really cool. I was really hyped for it. We just got the brackets shown on the big screen on the entrance for, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. Just without any warning, they just appeared on screen. And just in that, because I took a little picture of it on my phone, and I zoomed in and suddenly just saw, wait, Punk and Satoshi Kojima? Wait, what? Wait, you, how have you just stealth announced this? How do you do that? But it is what it is. Talk about stealth announcements. This was this show as well announced like the, going back to the beginning of the show. Collision didn't announce anything for this coming weekend, and so they used the opening segment with Punk to set up the eight man tag for that show. So very very weird how that's worked out. But again, is what it is. Next up, we got Zack Saber Jr. and Daniel Garcia defeating Orange Cassidy and Katsuyori Shibata. As a big Japanese wrestling fan. The idea I got to see Shibata wrestle live in any capacity at this point, it's so damn cool. I'm so, so happy about this. This was a really fun tag match. And this is actually an example now of something I wanted to bring up for the show as a whole. Because as we've documented in the past here on Bunkermania Wrestling, we watch this via Fight TV, where we don't get, like in the USA, the picture-in-picture breaks, whereas we still get commentary with the full-screen action. And there have been some matches in the past, I mean, heck, even on Collision, when there was the the thing with, as great a match as it was with Buddy and Andrade, there was that moment when the Doctors were checking on them, and that was kind of taking me out of the match a little bit, because I could kind of tell it may have been a bit of a stalling for time thing. Actually, in the moment, in the arena, on Dynamite, I don't think I could ever tell when we were in picture in picture. And that's credit to the wrestlers and the production and everyone that helped put the matches together. Because on TV, obviously, you hear, we'll be right back after this break in picture in picture, and it's really kind of just thrown in your face when you are in a picture in picture moment. But live, you couldn't tell. And that made me really happy and gave me a new level of appreciation for just for just the production and, and the whole thing. Every, not to reiterate everything I said, but it made me give a better appreciation for the picture-in-picture breaks and maybe sort of don't always have the thing of, you know, the commentary basically telling you nothing's really going to happen because all of these matches had something really good fun happening. And this was a perfect example of that. The way that this match unfolded and is now ultimately leading to a four-way Involving all four competitors for the international title, I really, really like. And some of the interactions with Zack Sabre Jr. and Shibata were fantastic. In fact, just interactions between all of them was just really, really good fun. Also, I couldn't hear it. Well, what's the way to phrase this? I could hear it because I'm so familiar with Zack's accent, and I kind of saw it on the big screen when I glanced up. I definitely saw him caught Cassidy orange bollocks at one point, and I burst out laughing, and everyone around me had no idea why. So I looked very weird at that moment. But that is what it is. Next up, we had the TBS title match, Chris Statlander against Taya Valkyrie. Statlander is so over. I, I'm assuming it's not just a Chicago thing, because it, she... Since her return, the reaction for her has been incredible. So I'm really hoping this is just a general, everyone is really game for Statlander being back. 
and I really enjoyed this match. I've seen some people online complain about it, just kind of saying it wasn't the best. In the building, this was really good fun. Admittedly, I think people use this as an opportunity to have a break, as it were, as well as some of the other stuff that was going on before this, because I think that Tony and Willow promo, because it was a longer-form promo... I think people started leaving their seats to maybe go and grab a drink or something, and then just as a result, that then sort of ran into the TBS title match. That was an observation I did notice. But I really enjoyed this match, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next with Statlander, because her just having the TBS title matches every week at the moment, I'm really digging. I'm really enjoying it. In a way, I'm kind of gutted she's not on Forbidden Door, but I also get that the TBS title doesn't need to be on Forbidden Door. Just like, quite frankly, the TNT title doesn't need to be on Forbidden Door. But if either of those titles, uh, title matches, excuse me, were added to Forbidden Door this weekend, I wouldn't be opposed to it, quite frankly. So that, that is that. Then next up, we, we get sort of our main event segment of Dynamite, which is Eddie Kingston coming out to the ring. And my first thought when he started coming out was, yes. Eddie Kingston, I'm well up for his promo. And then I thought, God, I hope I can hear him. I heard most of it. And then when Moxley came out from the crowd, I could hear some of what was said at the back and forth. I definitely missed a few bits and bobs just because there were also people being very sort of loud, quite frankly, and very up for this. And then when we started getting the attacks in the ring and Ishii being announced and such, and then Danielson getting in the ring, obviously there was one thing this was going to lead to, given that all night we had sort of seen on the big screen. Because another thing to mention as well, in the case of the Wintrust Arena, and I don't know if this is if this happens with every venue, but what occurs is you've got the entrance you've got the entrance ramp, if you imagine it, and you've got the big screen on the entrance ramp. They don't tend to show you everything on there. Like from what I can gather, there may have been some additional backstage promos that I never saw in the arena, but they also don't show the action in the ring on the ramp on the big screen. But in the Wintrust Arena, above the ring, there is like another set of LED screens, if you will, and they show the TV feed on those big screens. So there were kind of moments where we got to see what what you at home were seeing, as it were, and we could see like the little lower thirds sort of demonstrating, oh, you know, buy this on Bleacher Report, or, you know, buy Forbidden Door, and all these international providers and stuff. And one of the things we kept seeing were Eddie Kingston promo and Danielson calling out Okada. So when it got to this main event segment, it could only mean they're both going to align somehow. And given we're going to have this five-on-five tag match, which is going to be so good, and then we're going to have Danielson and Okada, and just the face-to-face with them... Um, I can't tell you what the reaction was like. When Okada's coin drop in his music happened, place went unglued. It was so damn cool seeing him. That face-to-face, it got me so uber excited for Forbidden Door this weekend. I cannot emphasize this enough. It was so damn good. And in terms of what happened after, we basically got some more celebration, as it were, from Okada... And then Danielson kind of ran down the ramp to maybe kind of do a sneak attack, but then he just kind of decided to not do it and went back, as it were. So basically just more of a stare down. Nothing more happened after Dynamite specifically. 
And that is how Dynamite ended. In terms of a live experience, it was really, really good fun. I really did miss having the commentary because that's how good of a commentary team they had. But the experience of being in the building and the view that I had, along with the very... I don't want to say rowdy crowd, but very up-for-it crowd that were around me, I think that kind of really added to it and replaced that feeling. But like I say, the sound, not just on Dynamite, but throughout, but throughout the rest of the stuff that we saw in on the show, which I'm going to discuss momentarily... It was impacted by it, and that did kind of hamper some of my enjoyment because I wanted it to be so perfect, I think is one way to sum that up. And it wasn't a perfect experience, but it was a damn good one, to say the least. So very, very happy with how that was. Just to touch on a few notes from Rampage and such then, we got... It's very amusing how... (laughs) Okay, I need to put this into context, so... We see Excalibur just ring off match after match after match, kind of at one point shortly before the main event segment. When he did this, and we saw what we were getting on Rampage, and we just started seeing these matches, and it's just like, wait, what? (laughs) It's basically what it's like when you watch it on TV. You're just like, where's this match come from? And we were seeing all this stuff being announced, and it was just so just bonkers, because you're like, oh crap, we're about to see all that. Amazing. And it kicks off with the United Empire trio of Osprey, Fletcher, and, and Jeff Cobb teaming with Swerve Strickland, who was so over in Chicago. And I think fits like a glove into the United Empire, I'm going to be honest. Taking on Rocky Romero, Chuck Taylor, Trent Beretta, and Yo of the sort of best friends chaos combo, if you will. Watch this match. It's really, really good fun. Swerve... Is so damn good. Also, Yo is having a ball in this match. You could tell he's really up for being part of like the best friends element of chaos. You could tell he was having a really good time. And obviously, the United Empire guys are great, but yeah, Swerve was the standout in this, so do go and check out that match if you can. I can't remember the exact order of all of this, so I'm probably going to jump around a little bit, so forgive me if I'm saying this in the wrong order when it airs on TV. The acclaimed... Okay, actually, you know what? This this segment... All right, I'm going to take a sip of this drink I've got now to actually get ready to talk about this. So, the acclaimed come out. We get a, get a fun rap by Max Caster, and they start talking, and suddenly they're interrupted by someone. And it's Harley Cameron of QTV. Now, to put this bluntly, I'd say 90% of people in the Wintrust Arena didn't know who, who she was. So they don't watch Rampage, or they've forgotten about QTV as a concept. She comes out, and she's trying to say stuff, but this was like the level of go-away heat where people really didn't want whatever was going to happen to happen. And this entire segment, which God knows how long it's going to be on Rampage by the time it actually airs... But this entire segment probably went in the region of about 10 to 15 minutes because people would not stop booing and not let her do what she was going to do and sing. But what this did ultimately lead to, which when I think about it more and more makes total sense, was that Harley Cameron came out with two people sort of wearing like just like plain white masks, if you will. Kind of a faceless ghoul type mask. And... They were sort of doing wacky dancing 
while Harley Cameron was doing a bunch of singing. It, it's quite a segment. I, I didn't, and I think I did take some footage of it on my phone, so I might throw that up somewhere after Rampage is aired and whatnot. I, I'll decide at another point. But this segment is going on and on. And you can tell the acclaimed are having a really good laugh of just how much people don't like Harley Cameron. Also, there was a fun moment where Harley Cameron is singing and one of her lyric lines towards Anthony Bowens is something along the lines of, I can tell you're into me. And there's a moment where I just went, "Mm, you, you clearly didn't read the memo about something, did you? And then Bowens gets on the mic and basically goes... Did you like? I'm gay. Do, do you not know this? And then, and the crowd go wild for this and just start chanting, "He is gay. He is gay." It's like the most wonderful thing I have been a part of when it comes to that. When it just comes to the feeling of pride and the fact it is Pride Month, it was just a wonderful moment. I don't know how well it's going to translate on TV, but I can assure you, it's one of the most wholesome things I have been a part of. But I digress. What this ultimately all leads to is the two masked people attacking the acclaimed and Billy Gunn, and one of them unmasks. Not both of them, only one. The one that unmasks, it's whatever name he's going to go by. I assume because he's aligned now with QTV, it will be Johnny TV, because that seems logical to me. But it's freaking like John Morrison, Johnny Mundo, Johnny Elite, whatever the heck you want to call him. And uh, it was just like, it makes perfect sense, him being aligned with the TMZ type thing. It just makes total sense. But we didn't need this segment to introduce it, quite frankly. So I'll be very interested to hear how this segment actually comes off on Rampage when it airs on television. We then got... Adam Cole coming out for another promo. Well, in our case, another promo, but obviously on Rampage's case for a promo. He was interrupted by MJF making his first appearance on Rampage ever, mind you. And there was a little bit of back and forth on this, ultimately leading to MJF saying, hey, partner, I've got you a match at Forbidden Door because I talked to Tony Khan. And just says he's going to face filthy Tom Lawler, who then comes running through the crowd, starts beating down Adam Cole... And MJF's shtick when he's like, oh no, wait, I'll come and help you. I'll be right there. And he's sort of trying to like get his belt off of his waist, can't do it very well. Trying to remove the diamond ring from his finger, can't do it very well. And he's like, gets down nearly to the ring and suddenly says something like, oh, but I've got this scarf on. I've got to take the scarf off. And all the while, Adam Cole's just getting beaten down in a submission hold and stuff. It's... It was just such a well-worked thing. But yes, yeah, so Adam Cole and Filthy Tom Lawler has been added to Forbidden Door, which is going to be great fun, quite frankly. There was also an Owen Hart tournament match. This was Anna Jay and Sky Blue. Sky Blue was super over. She ultimately got the win, but Daddy Magic and Angelo Parker being at ringside with Anna Jay add... So- now, I don't mean this in... I really like Anna Jay as a wrestler, but the presence of Daddy Magic and Angelo Parker, it just adds something to her act as a whole that works really well. It just works so, so well. Ultimately, Sky Blue was able to get the win, so she advances in the tournament. And then the main event match was Jungle Boy Jack Perry against Doki from New Japan Pro Wrestling, accompanied by Yoshinobu Kanemaru. So I was really happy. 
Now, I think everyone went into this thinking, all right, this will probably be, what, a couple of minutes long. If we're lucky, maybe Sonata will show up. We'll get something after the, the fact to kind of set up their match at Forbidden Door that's happening that a lot of people seem to have forgotten about. This match was really freaking good. Go out of your way to watch this. Doki is on another level on this show. Someone... <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember who it was. I think it was like a, one the Lucha blog Twitter or the Cubs fan. It was one or the other. But I remember them saying, like, no one told, told Doki that Rampage is the C show. Because <laughs> this match was really freaking good. And one very curious thing that happened during this... And I'm going to tell you this now because it will make a lot of sense when you watch it on television. The crowd... I'm going to say a lot of the crowd are really not aware of who Doki is. But what they do know is that Doki sounds a lot like Dookie. And you can have a fun time chanting that. So what you will hear is a lot of Dookie chants on this Rampage show. And in turn, because of the how much people are chanting that, but at the same time are actually getting really into what Doki is doing, because Doki's a really good wrestler, they're kind of slowly being won over, or, you know, warming to him, just in general, not just out of, like, a comedic name thing. And by the end of it, Jungle Boy's getting booed. And it kind of feels like they've been starting to brew a heel turn between him and Hook. And by the end of this, Jungle Boy's like looking angry. I could see it on the big screen. In essence, this match, soft, soft heel turned Jungle Boy. I don't know how it's going to come out with like commentary and how they'll play out on TV and stuff, but this was a really unique wrestling experience to be a part of. And, like I say, go out of your way to watch this match, because as a match, it's really, really good fun. Go out of your way to watch this. Doki does something really mental in the match, which is worth watching for in itself. And then afterwards, Sonada, the IWGP champion, comes out. We get a very brief stare down. Don't get a promo or anything. Though apparently he had made some comments elsewhere saying he really doesn't know who Jack Perry is. So it's kind of putting him down. And I was really into Sonata. A bunch of people around me were as well. I don't know how much of a reaction he got, but it was really cool to see him just walk out in his, quite frankly, great-looking suit and the belt and stuff. And that is how Rampage went off the air. But it is not the only thing that happened on this show. Because we also got a another bonus match, if you will. It was... I'm just going to consult my notes to make sure I get this correct... We got an eight-man tag match that was being taped for Ring of Honor television. It was the workhorsemen, J.D. Drake and Anthony Henry, Shane Taylor, and Gringo Loco against the team of Commander, Phoenix, Penta, and Vikingo. Just that as a four-man team is mind-blowing. Utterly mind-blowing. Vikingo... We've seen his matches on TV. We've seen him do loads of indies. Seen him do stuff in Mexico. When you see him live, you get a whole other level of appreciation for him. It is genuinely insane how damn good he is. And you already know how damn good he is, but it's when you see it live and you just realise how crisp his movements are and how he conducts himself. It is truly... 
such a unique experience to see him wrestle live. If you can, you need to go out of your way to see him live. I, I, I urge all of you to do that. So that will be shown at some point on Ring of Honor television. That was our final match of the night. Which brings me to my final point, well, final two points of the evening. Because this was a fantastic experience. I had a whale of a time. I'm not only excited for everything I'm going to be seeing over the coming week here in Canada, but I'm also now even more excited for All In. Because I've had a, like a, a taste of it live. But it's also given me personally an indication of perhaps what to expect from the live experience of an AEW show. And one thing that Wembley Stadium is notorious for when it comes to live concerts is the higher up you are in that stadium, sometimes the sound can be really bad. Really bad. Now, one assumes that All In is mainly going to be big matches and not a lot of talking but if there is going to be any talking they need to make sure the sound is on point because throughout this night it was not good in places and again that may have just been an arena setup thing it may have just been a freak thing but it was constant throughout the entire evening so i'm not gonna let that slide again didn't detract me fully from the experience but it did take me out of certain moments because I couldn't fully invest in what was going on. The other thing, though, is when that final match ended, let me look up the exact time, because I noticed it to a buddy of mine. If I was going to notice it to Tom on, on a text message, let me just look it up, because I noted the exact time that uh, this show finished. It finished at 22.47, 10.47pm. Doors opened at 5pm. This was a dynamite and rampage taping. <laughs> now, obviously, I got there for doors open. That's on me. But come, like, mm, halfway through rampage, I will admit I was flagging. That may have just been me because it's been a busy few days sort of traveling in, doing stuff and whatnot. Little bit of sort of reverse jet lag, if you will, from the time zone shift. It may have very much just been a me thing. But... It would have been nice if this could have perhaps been a little bit more succinct. I don't know if this is, this is how it is normally, but that's a long evening. And again, I had a fantastic time, but it does make me wonder if this is... If, I get, if you get there for doors open, and effectively the show ends at 11pm, what the heck is All In going to be like at Wembley? Because they can't have this thing running 10 hours. I mean, they could if they really wanted to, but there'll probably be a lot of people annoyed and they'll be in trouble for it. But I hope this is just like a dynamite rampage thing. It'll be interesting to see how Collision compares this coming weekend. And I will be doing another video of some kind talking about Collision in Toronto. The night before Forbidden Door, I'm also going to try and do some kind of video, potentially with Tom as well, be it talk, talking about Collision and or Forbidden Door as well. I'm going to try and do some more sort of live reports, as it were, on how these shows are and or were. So I can give you a good indication as, the live ex as to the live experience coming from someone, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, who is a big AEW fan, but also is experiencing it live in various forms now for the very first time. I've seen the Dynamite Rampage taping. 
I'm going to be at a live collision as well, which I think there'll be some ROH tapings after that as well, if I'm to understand correctly. And then, of course, there will also be Forbidden Door, then the post-Dynamite and Collision shows as well. So, a heck of a lot coming up. If you've enjoyed this, thank you very much for watching and or listening. Be it here on YouTube, if you enjoyed it, why not hit that subscribe button? Or if you want to ask any questions of maybe my experience or you want a bit more elaboration or something, put it in the comments below and I will do my best to answer for you. If you've been listening on, in the audio-only realm on your podcast provider of choice, why not tell a friend? We would really, really appreciate it. But thank you very much for listening and or watching. Until next time here on Bunker Mania Wrestling, I've been Jeremy Graves, signing out. Take care and speak to you soon.